I'm Father Roderick, and this is the first show of the new year. Well, technically, it's not my first show because I've already recorded an episode of The Walk, but definitely the first episode of my regular show. So glad you can join me. We have tons of things to talk about. Hopefully, this is going to brighten up your day a little bit. I'll do my best, so sit back and relax. This whole new year is brought to you thanks to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. They help me with their monthly micro donations and sometimes even some bigger donations. And it is a, a huge encouragement for me to keep on doing this in 2021. And well, what I want to do is to bring you some hope, hopefully cheer you up a little bit because this week has been crazy. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Unless you've been living under a rock, you must have seen, just like I did, the images from the United States where a lot of my listeners live, uh, more specifically from Washington, D.C., and everything that happened there. Um, It was pretty baffling. I have to say, uh, it, it was almost unreal Uh, at times I was like am I watching like a B movie (laughs) you know one of those disaster movies where they always destroy important buildings that you know and all of a sudden this is this is real and of course my second thought was this must be so hard for my friends in the United States to to witness this to see this happen to their own country uh, where there's already so much division and polarization which is hard on everyone and to see this culmination in violence and destruction, um, it, it was disheartening. And I felt really, really sorry for, for those of you that, that live in the U.S. Because I, I, I've been to the United States so many times. And all I encounter are friendly people, are nice people. Not at all this kind of mayhem. Not at all this violence. And of course, every country has uh, people that are that are, uh, you know, kind and people that are not. Uh, and, and But that's the same here as well. But the thing is, of course, with, with media, when we're watching something like this and it is, it's, it's transmitted live all over the world, you kind of forget about the, the regular people, which is the vast majority. It's like what happened to the Catholic Church when, when, when there is a scandal, when there is something wrong. Uh, all of a sudden, it kind of distorts your 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 view of of reality and you only see what's wrong but what you don't see is is all the good people all the people that are building up society and are being kind and are contributing to society so what i wanted to do first and foremost is to just encourage you don't lose hope don't despair this too shall pass. This has been part of history. And yes, did, did, was this completely unexpected? No, of course not. The polarization has been amplifying year after year. And uh, what you see now is the result of, of basically a process that's been going on for many years. Uh, and it started with words. It started with with uh, demonizing other people, seeing the others as the enemy. Think of of the series, uh, the TV series Lost. You remember that? In the first episode, or in the first season, we're introduced to the others. And very soon, the the people that you're familiar with, the, the ones whose story you followed, 
identify the others as the enemy. It's a threat. We don't know who they are. So you know what? Let's let's be let's not take any risks and let's just <laughs> approach them uh, in a hostile way. But it's this. And then later on, of course, you discover that wait a minute. Well, not not everyone on the other side is is uh, evil. And uh, the more you get to know each other, the more you can forge new alliances and well come together, etc. So I think in society it's the same thing. Uh, as as soon as we start to turn society into black and white and think that we ourselves are, are the good guys and all the others are, are wrong, history has shown us, and also church history has shown us that that always results and leads to, to, um, to polarization and sometimes even to violence. And... That's never going to help anyone. That's never going to build up a country. So, um, but but trust yourself. Trust the good that is in you, um, and also believe in the good in others. Even people that don't share your opinion and that look at the world differently, because they are in a different world and sometimes in a different bubble. Like we're, we all, we have discovered how how uh, important these these uh, social media bubbles are in determining how we look at things and how we perceive reality. And sometimes my perception of reality can be completely different from my neighbor's perception of reality because he or she is in a different bubble. So the dangers of, um, of, of this kind of closed-off media world that it sometimes auto-generates around us, this kind of matrix that is, that is influenced by all the algorithms of social media, we've seen where that can sometimes lead us to as a society. And I'm pretty sure that there's going to be a course correction over time. We, we'll, hopefully we'll learn from this. Nobody wants this violence. So hopefully that will make us smarter. And, and we need to have some patience now. And above all, hope that this is a, a shock to all of us. Um, it's 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 been baffling, especially if you, if you don't live in the United States and you look at that and you're just like, what is happening? You just you know, if this were zombies, this this could be a TV series, but it's not. It's it's the sad reality right now. But it doesn't mean that it's always going to be like this. That there's always we we have. Uh, I think a, a great capacity to learn and to do better. And sometimes when there's a lot of violence and people do, do things that are terrible, that will also awaken in, in many other people the will to do better and to improve and to make sure that this doesn't happen again. Now, of course, history also shows us that oftentimes we make the same mistakes over and over again and we don't learn from history. But... Uh, that's not a given. You can always choose the choose to do better and choose to contribute. What you, what I think we should all avoid is fear. Uh, and instead of fear, we should have courage. We should be courageous and hopeful for the future. Um, we should try to not see the world in black and white, but but have a certain prudence in the way we judge others. Always look for for the good in other people. Always try to awaken the the better <laughs> the better half of, of people around us and also in ourselves. You know, just try to step away from 
anger and frustration or, or, or revenge. Instead, what we all need to seek is justice. Try to give to each other what we want for ourselves instead of, of hurting the other person in the same way the other person has hurt us. It's those mechanisms of fear and, and hatred and, and revenge that are destroying society. The opposite, the virtues. If look up the cardinal virtues of, uh, of St. Thomas Aquinas. Uh, look for virtues in, in Star Wars, if Thomas Aquinas is not your cup of tea. <laughs> uh, there are so many stories that can teach us what, what the way is to healing, to peace, to a, you know, a positive future. And try to, try to nurture those values in yourself. Try to uh, grow these virtues in yourself. That, I think, is a much more important contrib contribution to your country and to society in general than just you know, lashing out to those others that are destroying everything. Um, anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to share with you. Don't, don't despair. Always think of Luke Skywalker. There, I, I know there is good in you. <laughs> and try to look at the world through that positive perspective. That's not being naive, by the way. You always have to also closely watch what's going on, try to read the signs of times. But the first question should not be, what does the other person do wrong? But what can I do better? What can I do to make things better? How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. I started watching this series on Netflix that is really outrageous and scary and also a lot of fun and very relatable. The series is called We Are the Champions, and it's not about Queen, <laughs> the rock band. This is about people that are trying to be number one in whatever extreme thing you can imagine. Uh, I've only watched the first episode, but the trailer is, uh, is really promising to be, uh, th that this first season is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I think I... Uh, did I put the trailer somewhere in my one of my browser windows? Because I want to play it here before I talk about the series. Maybe I've already scrolled away from this. You know what? Let me just re-enter that in YouTube. Um, so that would be trailer. So the series is called uh, We Are the Champions. We Are the Champions. And it's on Netflix. There we go, the official trailer. Let me play that first. At the heart of every tradition, something that our ancestors wanted us to know. While we may be mortal, we cannot live in fear. If the cheese does come over here, protect those kids. For the cheese! Six competitions so big, you've probably never heard of them. Cheese this rolling. scares me. I just need to <laughs> face it. Chili I've never eating. seen anybody go through that much pain and just keep on going. Frog jumping. Really like toads. I love frogs. I'm a jump guy. Yo-yo. Obligated to push the envelope of what's possible. Fantasy hairstyling. Never win. That's my motivation. Dog dancing. A very, very difficult sport. Definitely the most difficult dog sport. 
This is it. Showtime. What the hell am I doing? I was just talking to myself. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. That's a great day to jump some frogs. I may get disqualified, but I bet you I catch the eye of everyone in that audience. We are the risk takers, the record breakers, history makers. The hopes of walking away saying, I won. We are the champions. That's a brilliant trailer, by the way. That's really well edited. It makes you curious. It's got pizzazz. It's got energy. <laughs> I love this series. So I watched the first episode, which is about this strange phenomenon of cheese rolling. I'd never heard of it. So it, this is about a small country town in the UK. Every year, uh, the, the, there is this, this hill that, which has a slope that is about 45 degrees. And then there is this, this tradition of rolling a big cheese wheel down that hill. And people have to chase it. And it's not about catching the, the cheese itself because the cheese is going like 130 kilometers per hour. So it's super fast. It's almost falling vertically. But it's about ending first, being at the bottom of the hill first. This is not a, you know, a nice slope. It's super muddy. It's full of bumps. It's extremely dangerous, highly eroded. And so the first thing you see is that people are literally tumbling over each other trying to get down that hill. You see people break bones, break break joints. It, It is, oh, it looks like... The most dangerous thing you can do. And yet the first episode follows this young woman who wants to be first, not just once, not just twice, but three times in a row. And I'm not going to spoil it, but the entire episode shows uh, her, her motivation to do this and how far she's willing to go to end first and to be the champion of this cheese rolling event. Um, it's It's... Very well filmed. It shows a kind of a quirky side of reality. Um, that it, and at the same time, it touches upon themes that we are all very familiar with. Because who hasn't won, who hasn't, you know, dream, dreamed of, of being first in whatever, you know, sports or contest or, or whatever. We all have somewhere deep inside of us this, this desire to be champions in what we do to be the best and you know what this made me think about my own uh sometimes my own ambitions where did it come from and why am i sometimes just working so hard to not just to to be uh, to deliver something that is okay but to be the best of the best i think in my personal situation that comes from uh my childhood where often i was rejected when in school, when we were having these hours where we'd do sports, I would always be picked last because I was not very good at sports. I didn't excel in all the things that were popular among the kids. But I think that for in, some, in some cases in my life when I was overly ambitious and I, I worked so hard, even endangering my own health, to, to be the best, it's it's kind of a way to compensate for the 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 you know always being last in in school. Uh, I I try always try to have the highest uh, uh, 
the, the best results in school. Always go for the A plus instead of the C minus. Um, because, and if you live in, this is the American rating system, in the Netherlands we have ratings that go from one to 10. So I always went for the nine and a half or the 10 instead of the six. Where a six would, would have gotten me j probably just as far in life as a 10. But I wanted to be the best and I couldn't stand it when there were other children in my class that would outrank me in, in these disciplines where I wanted to be the best. Now, of course, that helped me to work hard in school, but I think it, it sometimes also made me very insecure and always, nowadays, I sometimes sabotage myself because I'm, I'm spending so much effort in trying to deliver that I'm not taking into account things like my health. And in this series, you see the same thing. This girl really wants to win, wants to be the champion, and she is ready to break all her bones in order to win. And you're watching that, and you think, like, that is ridiculous. Why would you do that? And then when you stop and think about your own life, you're like, wait, I am doing the same in other areas of life. I will never run after a, 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 a wheel of cheese and, and risk breaking my bones, but I'm running after other accomplishments where I want to show the world, and maybe I want to show, you know, these kids from back then, back in time, like, you see, I'm good at something, I'm worth being appreciated, I am worth being loved, and, and a lot of the motivation is maybe false. It's, it's, it's well, it's not false, it's, it's real, and it's human, but I wonder, am I doing this because I truly enjoy it, because I really want to contribute to the world, or am I doing this just to compensate for perceived values, in, uh, perceived failures in my past, or the lack of having been loved? Some, some people say that about Trump and about other politicians, you know. Maybe the reason that they try to get such huge crowds to love them and worship them is because of parental problems and not having been loved and appreciated when they were young. I mean, your childhood can have such a massive impact on how we behave later on in life. And, well, this series really showed me a mirror. <laughs> maybe, maybe I should stop running after, after cheese wheels a little bit more and, and try to be more aware of the importance of staying healthy and not overexerting myself. Anyway, highly recommend it. We are the champions on Netflix. And with that, it is time for a short visit to the Peculiar Bunch. <laughs> Catholics rock! So in the previous segment, I was talking about the importance of uh, childhood experiences for the rest of your life. Well, that... Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. Oh, meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Well, before Marge interrupted me, that is a nice segue into the topic of today's peculiar bunch, and that is the importance of family. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than blockbuster video. I think that we all agree um, about the importance that our experiences in in our family, uh, in, in different ways, have impacted who we are today, how we behave, how we treat others, and maybe also our own way of, of running our family. 
Um, and that can be in a positive way, and it can also be in a negative way. If we come from broken families, if we have gone through abuse, or uh, our, our parents have failed us in, in some aspects of life, um, that oftentimes will carry through in, in, our, in our present day. It can have both the effect of motivating us to do better, um, and to go beyond that, and I think that people have uh, oftentimes an incredible resilience to overcome even you know situations where a family was broken or hardship or anything. But sometimes it can also still have last have caused it may have caused wounds um, uh, like residual hurt that is easily triggered when we are in situations later in life that remind us of those, you know, of our childhood years. I think you can say in general that, that a positive, um, motivating, balanced family life usually bears a lot of fruit later on in life. And that is why uh, taking care of families and helping them to create an environment where people can grow and feel safe and feel encouraged and can can develop um, positive virtues is something that we as a society, and I would add to that as a church, we should work to do, we should do um, what we can to, to make that happen. And it's not by accident that this has been a, an important theme in many Christian churches, and especially in the Catholic Church, where um, it's not just about you know defending the family against everything that can destroy it. That is a, a type of rhetoric, rhetoric that I don't like that much because it's so negative. It's always like, oh, but there's this sacred family, and then there's all this evil in society and in culture, and we need to stand up for the family. And it's like, yeah, but you know what? Instead of first looking at all those enemies of the family, why don't you focus on the families that you have and, and ask yourself, how can we help them? Because ultimately, uh, it's much, much better to work on the inner strength of families so that they can defend themselves against you know, the threats rather than you know, <laughs> trying to be the hero uh, and, and neglecting um, the, what is truly important, and that is helping families, helping parents. It's always better to, to create light yourself than only complain about the darkness. So um, this is why uh, Pope Francis has announced uh, a year, the year of the family according to, um, to Amoris Laetitia, which is this... Uh, uh, exhortation that he wrote five years ago. Well, in March this year, it's going to be five years ago, which was about the joy of of love, uh, the 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 joy it brings, but also about the importance to, that love generates joy, and that joy can help us to love better. Um, it's a it's a beautiful document. It has been uh, talked about a lot five years ago because of the process. Uh, that led to its inception, to its cre creation. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's really cool that uh, Pope Francis wants to 
bring like help people apply this to their day-to-day lives and more specifically to family life by instituting this year of the family according to Amoris Laetitia. He wants to bring joy and love to the families or help families experience joy and and love. And I think that's a very noble uh, project, very necessary. This starts in March and then it's going to be one year long, so it's going to end in 2022. I think with the big, con- um, what is it, the like the 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 week of the family or something like that. There's going to be this this big event. Um, what d- did surprise me a little bit was that he announced this um, when he had just announced another theme for the upcoming year, and that would be the theme of Saint Joseph. So. They, th- this year, and I think that started in December, um, he announced that 2021, or actually from 8 December 2020 to 8 December 2021, would, would be the year of St. Joseph. And he wrote this apostolic letter, Patris Corde, with a father's heart, to, um, to highlight the virtues of St. Joseph and to show him as an example for our times. And I was like, well, you know, from a PR perspective, marketing perspective, is it wise to introduce two different themes for the year to come? Um, and But now that I think of it, it's actually these two uh, themes are very compatible because, of course, what is St. Joseph if not a father? Someone who takes care of this family that has been entrusted to him and and is a father with a heart. Now, what more do we need to experience love and joy in families than to have a great heart? So Joseph, I think, St. Joseph could be the patron saint for the family that is the central theme of this upcoming year. Um, I will link in the show notes to two uh, articles on the Vatican News website that explain a little bit more what these these this upcoming year is uh, is all about or what these how these two themes in um interconnect um and i'm sure that we will see more initiatives and more specific pointers to ways in which we can uh, can bring this theme to life because of course this is just a theme it's not automatically going to help people that will require active projects and one of the things that uh, this article mentions about the year of amores letizia in the family is helping young people to prepare for their wedding and i think that from my own personal very limited experience because in, in the netherlands we don't have that many uh, weddings in church anymore um, it, that can be of great help to to young people because it's it's people, people kind of assume that uh, the wedding is, a, is something that just happens. You just have to offer the ring, organize a nice party, and then the rest will come by itself. But we also know that that is not true. And a lot of relationships break because of insufficient preparation and because we don't teach young people the tools of nurturing a relationship, building a family, what it entails and how to deal with the things that go wrong, which eventually always will happen in every life, in every relationship. And I think good marriage preparation should be all about being prepared for for when the you-know-what hits the you-know-what. 
because that's where it starts to matter. And that is also where the the power of the sacrament of, of marriage will will fully start to come into play. Um, you know, I don't think you need the church when things are okay and everybody's happy and you're madly in love. No, we need help. We need our brothers and sisters in faith when things go wrong, when it starts to become di- difficult, when you when it's uphill. That I think is where the sacrament really is 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 important and can be a great. Uh, a, a great strength, a great help, and where the church can be a beacon and can can offer people a hand that they can grab in order to pull them through these difficult times. But of course, first of all, the church needs to be aware of her own role in this and that she has a, a role to play in the lives of young people that are open to it. Of course, you can't force this on, on anyone, but I think this is this this is helpful in a way that it can help the church constantly turn away from herself and her own interests and future and worries and instead help the church ask, in this case, what can we do to help these young people? What can we do to help families to have a more joyful and more loving life? And that ultimately, hopefully, will yield fruits for for future generations. And if we don't, well, we see what a broken childhood and what well what 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 happens what happens when families are not don't offer that safe environment and don't help young people to grow up. Uh, we see the results in our in our current day politics and in our, our current society. There is there is so much unrest, unhappiness so much polarization and lack of patience and lack of virtues all these good things we 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 are supposed to to learn them first and foremost in a family so i think that's where the focus of the church rightly should be um so this is probably a theme that i'll go i'll come back to later on in the year but uh, i just wanted to bring that to your attention that this is uh, what's happening in the catholic church in 2021 When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? So I set myself the goal of reading 100 pages every day. And like all things that I want at the start of the year, I failed miserably. <laughs> I've, I, there have been days that I did a bit of reading. I never did. I never hit 100 pages. Um... I did listen to some audiobooks because sometimes it would be easier for me to just rest and or or go for a walk and just listen to a book being narrated, but I'd never made a hundred pages. So um, I'll just try again next week. <laughs> I did start a couple of books though that I enjoy. And reading is all about enjoying. It's not you know, I didn't set, set myself a new reading goal just to be able to tell you at the end of this year, hey, I made it. Look, I'm so great at reading. No, I, I want to force myself to read more because it is good for me and it's a very enjoyable activity. So the three books that I'm currently reading definitely are a joy to read. The first one is a Dutch book and it's called, in, in Dutch, 
uh, I'll translate it in English, um, An Barbar in China, A Barbarian in China. It's written by Adrian van Dis, who is a Dutch writer. It's not been translated in English. And it talks about a trip that he, he made, um, I think in 2007, through China. And he went to the beginning of the Silk Route and then travels through the inlands of China. And most of the book is about his you know, alienation, him feeling so out of place. He's a very tall guy, very Dutch. He doesn't speak Chinese, and he doesn't really understand Chinese culture. And so it's entertaining, and it's also a little bit frustrating to read this book because I'm like, well, dude, try to before you travel to a country try to understand first where you are going what the what the the things that he describes and that that sometimes even irritate him like the behavior of the chinese people that he encounters are you know very well known and just i don't know do a bit of research try to respect the country where you are try to learn instead of coming there with your own preconceived ideas of what the people should behave like um, and well, anyway, but it's interesting because he's been sometimes in, in the same places where I traveled and I'm currently working on my own documentary about China. And if, so, of course, some of that strangeness is, is what I experienced myself when I went to China, um, wh where it, it's such a different culture from mine. And at the same time, it's where well, part of my roots are. I, I'm a quarter Chinese, so I want to learn from this society. I want to see uh, where, where I come from in a certain way. And during my journey, I've discovered that there are actually quite a few Chinese elements, there have been quite a few Chinese elements in my own upbringing. Um, and, and so I'm not completely foreign to that culture uh, at all so it's a lot of fun to to put that documentary together it's also a ton of work because i filmed this like eight years ago so it's a bit difficult to reconstruct what happened but i think i'm i'm, I'm gonna make it uh but it will still be a consider considerable effort in the weeks to come but reading this book is a nice like source of inspiration for how to tell a story like this the second book that i'm currently reading is a popcorn book. It's popcorn entertainment, but it's such a fun read. It's the first uh, book of a trilogy written by A.G. Riddle. Name is truly Riddle. It's not Tom, by the way. <laughs> um, and this first book is Winter World. And I discovered it by accident because I was browsing through my Goodreads friends and there was this one person who said, you're going to enjoy this. This is a fun book. It's, uh, it reads like a movie. And that's exactly it. This just reads like one of those disaster movies slash space movies. So it's a bit of the Martian. It, it, it tries to do, uh, you know, science. Um, it's a bit like uh, The Day After Tomorrow, where it's about the Earth cooling down. But in this book, it's not caused by human behavior <laughs> it's called it's caused by aliens and so there's this big object that they discover that is heading for the sun and at the same time there is this cooling down of the earth there is a huge winter that doesn't seem to end and soon life on earth will be almost impossible so what do they do like in every every uh box office hit uh, of of 10 years ago of course, you send a team into space, not with scientists, but with 
a guy who's been in prison, and then there's this woman who is actually in in the ISS space station to to study plants, and but all of a sudden she needs to be rescued, and then accompanies the rest of the crew to this alien object that is heading full speed for the sun. Um, so everything about the book is unlikely, and it's like. Oh, wow, that's a little bit too convenient, but it's such a fun read. <laughs> and it's an easy, it's a page turner. You just want to know what happens next. And uh, sometimes it's a bit like, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> but like a lot of things, it's it's like the Martian in the sense that it tr tries to be serious about uh, the things it's describing, but at the same time, everything is so convenient. <laughs> And there are things that they gloss that the writer glosses over so quickly, but it doesn't matter as long as you kind of lower your expectations and just want to have a an easy, fun popcorn read for entertainment that that literally reads like a movie. Um, this is great. It's called Winter World, and there are two more uh, books that follow up on the events in this book. I haven't finished this one yet, but uh, so far, so good. And then the third book that I started reading is a big one. It is the third book in the Wheel of Time series that I vowed to read this year. I think we're talking about 12 books or 14 books. Ooh, it's very challenging. It means I have to read more than one of those big books every month. This one is uh, more than 600 pages long. It's called The Dragon Reborn. But I have to say... I'm getting used to the writing style of the of the writer. Um, and I'm a bit more familiar with the backstory. The first book was so hard to get through because you get introduced to this entire new fantasy world. The guy is great at world building, but you also get lost in, in the names and it refers to... Um, uh, by the way, the author is Robert Jordan. He, uh, he died a number of years ago. Um, and, and the series is actually finished by Sanderson, uh, who is um, already one of my favorite uh, uh, writers, um, very much alive. So now that I've worked my way through the first two books, I'm starting to see a little bit more of, uh, like, the you don't have to think in every chapter, uh, who is this guy again and what's going on right now? Um, and what is also encouraging me to read Wheel of Time is that they're currently working on uh, a television series. I think it's Amazon that is working on this. Um, and this is considered by many people to be kind of like <laughs> similar to Tolkien and the world building that we see in, 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 in Tolkien's work about works about Middle Earth. Um, Wheel of Time is is similar. It's different. It's a different kind of a different genre. It's already starting to change a little bit in this third book. The first one is very much like uh, uh, like the Lord of the Rings, but it, I've been told, and I already can notice it, that it's it's finding its own its own voice uh, over time. Um, but it's definitely um, a, a work I think that leads itself to to a you know a, a television series along the lines of of Game of Thrones. I just hope that they do justice to to the story and that they don't mess it up because it's easy to go wrong with this. It's also what a lot of people are a bit 
wary about when it comes to the television show that Amazon is currently filming uh, uh, of of the of um, you know the Lord of the Rings prequel. <laughs> Apparently, filming is already done, and, and now everybody is like, "Oh, is it going to be good or is it going to be you know terrible?" And everybody wants it to be good, but is it going to be the Mandalorian? Or is it going to be Star Trek Discovery, I would say? Uh, I'm so sorry that I'm not more positive about Star Trek Discovery, but I haven't seen the season's finale yet. But this season, for me, was the most disappointing one. Anyway, it's not here and there. The books are good, and nobody can mess those up anymore because <laughs> the, the, the series is finished. Here's hoping that I can actually... Uh, read the entire Wheel of, of Time series. I've already read two books in 2020, so only 12 to go, one per month. I should be all right. <laughs> let's let's stay hopeful. The scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friend. Well, we all thought that 2020 was a year that just wouldn't end. And it felt so long because of the pandemic and us having to work from home and and just it was a terrible year. At least it and when something is terrible, it it time goes by so slowly. But it turns out that from a scientific point of view, we were all wrong. 2000, 2020 was not a year that was longer than other years. In fact, from a point of view of science, this year was shorter than all the years before. To be more precise, it was like... Now I have to be precise. I say I'm going to be precise. But this 2020 has been passing by quicker than any of the years from the past five decades that preceded isn't that crazy? <laughs> so apparently, in 2020, the year has been spinning a little bit faster than in previous decades. Um, and I think it's about it, it, it all is about half of a second faster. So 2020 has been half of a second shorter than 2019. Isn't that crazy? So now they're talking about doing a, sh a small correction, maybe do like a negative, uh, a, a negative leap second. What I didn't know was, and I, I, I've, I've read this in some of the articles about this, that since the 1970s, no less than 27 leap seconds have been added to the time to keep atomic time lined up with solar time. So we already have these leap seconds, and it turns out that now, for 2020, we may have to subtract a second, like a negative leap second. How cool is that? And you'd say, well, what is half a second on an entire year? But this is important for navigation, for satellites, for everything that depends on the atomic clock. Apparently, if things go out of whack a little bit too much, then... Um, you, you get disalignment and, and all sorts of catastrophes may, uh, may follow. Uh, this also 
make me think geek as I am of the of the first of the Superman movie. Maybe not the first one, but definitely the most the most famous one, uh, where uh, Superman uh, experienced a very tragic event. I won't spoil it for you in case you haven't seen it. This is the Christopher Reeves uh, Superman movie, and he's so distraught that he flies up and then starts circling around the Earth trying to reverse time. And you see him just speeding up, speeding up, speeding up. And then slowly the, the, the globe slows down and starts going in reverse. And so he continues to fly around the Earth. <laughs> the more he flies, the, the more the Earth goes back in time. And then he stops and then he turns around again until the moment that uh, Earth is kind of back in time and going in the right direction anymore. He flies down to the... And, and it, he arrives right before the catastrophic events that made him want to fly back in time. And he saves the day because he's Superman. Well, none of that is of any scientific value. <laughs> but it made me think of that. Well, hey, maybe Superman is flying around the Earth and maybe that has caused the Earth to, uh, to speed up a little bit. I don't know. The scientific reasons for Earth spinning faster are still being investigated. Um, some scientists... Are, are postulating that this may be another result of global warming, more specifically about the ice crust on both poles diminishing. We know that this is happening. Um, and that that may influence, in some way or another, the Earth's rotation. Um, I'll let you know when I discover what uh, what's truly going on. It's probably not Superman. <laughs> We are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. It's time to talk about technology. I finally finally found some time to reorganize my smart home. You know, I, I love my smart devices. Uh, I've got the Google, what is it, um, these mini speakers. I think they're called a Google Mini. And I've got the Nest Hub, you know, this little, looks like a small TV. And I've actually got several of them. I've got the big one and I've got two smaller ones. And the big one is in the kitchen because I use it for recipes. I use it to, to listen to the news in the morning. And I wanted the big one in the kitchen because when I'm cooking, there's always a lot of noise. There is the ventilation. There's the water cooker that makes a lot of noise. Um, the sizzling stuff in the pans. And the Nest Hub has, is, can, can go pretty loud. But then next to my computers... Uh, both upstairs and downstairs, I have the smaller screen. And I use that, for instance, to turn on the lights, to uh, look up stuff. It's I, I love to have that small screen. Plus, if I'm not using it, it's showing me photos from Google Photos. And um, yeah, those are very nifty small devices, very limited in what they can do. But uh, I'm, I'm so glad that I have them. But one thing 
that I implemented earlier on, I think two years ago, I bought these intelligent light bulbs. Um, a couple of them were Philips, Philips Hughes, which are awesome. <laughs> and I'm not just saying this because Philips is a Dutch brand, but just it's so well done, so well implemented. The colors are fantastic. And the entire system works so well also with Google. Uh, but then I went, I t they're also very expensive. So I, uh, I went Dutch for an, an, a number of other light bulbs and I bought them from Xiaomi, which is this Chinese brand. And those at first seemed to be perfectly fine. You had to uh, install a, a Chinese app to control them and that would link or kind of uh, have sync to, uh, to, to Google so that if you say, for instance, you know, turn on the lights in the kitchen, it would send uh, that command to this app, probably to China. <laughs> then there is another message coming from China that tells my kitchen lights to, to turn on. And um, there is no way to to control everything from within one app. So the colors, uh, the color schemes for the Chinese light bulbs, I have to to manage them in in the Chinese app, and it's not very good. And then the Philips lamps, I I control them through the uh, much better uh, constructed uh, Philips Hue app. Um, the things you can do with this are amazing. So for instance, I can I can let the lights in my in my bedroom um, go tr slowly go from 0% to 100%. I can even mimic the colors of light of a sunrise. And so, um, and, and I can do the same in the evening where I have this one lamp in the middle of the room that function as the moon. And I turned it to this, this pale blue color that I associate with the moon, but then I also had a, a, a lamp on my nightstand and I would turn that like a nice warm orange that feels like you're, you're sleeping near a campfire. And then I would combine that schematics, those schematics with the ambient sounds that uh, Google can play. So if I say um, the, the trigger word and then good night, it starts dimming these lights and slowly, bit by bit, the campfire will go out. But it also plays this crackling sound of a campfire. And it, it's been wonderful. It's been really, you know, just a great way. I loved just saying goodnight to my smart device. And then having this whole routine automatically, you know, uh, start working. Um, and it was very calming, had a very calming effect uh, on me. And the same in the morning where instead of getting this blaring alarm, it would slowly start to, to intensify the light in my bedroom and it would play a sound file uh, with, with chirping birds and whatnot. I had it all figured out and I was so proud of myself. It took me days to get it right. And then I started to move some equipment around. And uh, I moved one light bulb to another room and then the app got updated and lost connection with some of the Chinese light bulbs and it was a mess. It was a mess. I started to add, uh, I had these smart, uh, what is it, um, outlets. It's like a, a thing 
even if you don't have a, like a smart lamp, you can still plug it into this smart device and you can turn it on. For instance, my Christmas lights. I had them on a programmable uh, AC outlet thing. And for some reason that stopped working and I couldn't get it back to work. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I don't know, it didn't sync anymore. So every time I would bark commands at my Google device, it would start replying me with, I'm sorry, but that device is not available right now. And the same with the light bulbs. I said, we'll turn off all the lights. And then it's like, I turned off eight lights. I'm sorry, I cannot turn out the kitchen lights. I cannot find this and that light. And these messages of <laughs> this smart device not being smart enough to figure out what was wrong started to pile up. And so every evening... When I, when I wanted to go to bed and sleep, I said, well, good night. And then turning off 16 lights. I'm sorry, I cannot find eight lights. I'm sorry, there is a problem with the device that you wanted me to use. I'm sorry. And it just went on and on. It's like, oh, for goodness sakes. So frustrating. But then in order to get everything back in, you know, working, I had to reset some of the light bulbs. It's a ton of work. Like, who, who is really smart here? Who's supposed to be smart? Like, turns out that I have to do all the smart stuff. Whereas my Google Hub is just too, is dumb as a rock. <laughs> so, and because it's so much work to figure out how to reset those light bulbs and, and reconfigure everything, I was procrastinating. And, and so every evening I would get this litany of errors from my Google device. Well, no more. Oh, like it's the new year. I'm finally going <laughs> to reset everything and make it work again. And yeah, it actually took me about half a day to get everything working again. But now, finally, I can go to bed in peace and no longer is this, uh, is, is my Google Hub telling me what, you know, how, how it's not that smart. And there's one, th another thing that I added and that is um, like a remote control that came with my Hue hub and the two lights that came with it. And I just never got around installing it. But now I can just, instead of talking, I can just press a button. It's all, it's a miracle. <laughs> this is the way that lights have worked for hundreds of years. Well, not really hundreds of years, but like the joy of just being able to press a button and then the light goes on. It's a light switch. It's a miracle of smartness. It's such an amazing invention. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yeah. But I'm actually really glad that I have that light switch. Why? Because I've noticed that it is pretty hard in the morning to think clearly. I, I'm just awakening from this slumber. And then in order to turn on the lights, I have to formulate this phrase like, hey, so-and-so, turn on the bedroom lights and the lights in the hallway as well. And start playing music. It's like a hundred things that I need to think of. And it's so much easier to just press a switch. So after implementing all this smart stuff, I'm basically back where I started with a light switch. And I couldn't be more excited about it. <laughs> all right. With that, I'm going to wrap things up here. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, 
For those of you that are supporting me on Patreon, thank you so much. There will be another show waiting for you on the uh, closed-off secret part of <laughs> of my podcasting activities. And it's called Father Roderick to the Max. This week, I'll be talking about uh, something I discovered about uh, my fatigue. And I figured out a way to reduce it. I'm also going to talk about Chinese cooking. I'll give you some tips on what I've learned this past week. Talk a little bit about uh, perfectionism versus productivity. And I'll uh, divulge some sacristy secrets. And I have a tip for you on how to get Battlefront 2, this amazing Star Wars game by uh, Electronic Arts, how you can get it for free. And what I think of that game. All that and more in Father Roderick to the Max, available to all my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. Have a great week. Don't lose hope. There's always a tomorrow that is going to be brighter than today. And make sure that you contribute to that. All right, enough preaching. See you later. Take care. <laughs>